This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. All right, it is Monday. It is my favorite day of the week because it allows me the chance to catch up with VancouverHockeyNow.com writer Rob Simpson, who might be a little fatigued between the football and the hockey, a big sports weekend. But Robert, first and foremost, good morning. Good morning, yes. I'm a, I'm a little fatigued, but I'm ready to get back after it. Well, let's really quickly recap the week that was before we look ahead to three Canadian team games that is going to really tell the tale for the Vancouver Canucks because the week that was was a five-alarm fire when it comes to between the pipes. I can't remember ever in Vancouver Canuck history where the first three or four goaltending options were not available to the head coach. I mean, what a week. It sucks. I'm just putting together a piece, actually, about how COVID hates the Canucks. And the NHL guidelines aren't helping. Like, oh, gee, you're not going to test asymptomatic players after All-Star Weekend. How about we just not test them now? What's the difference between then and now? Is it because, like, Omicron, they think they're basing it on projections and numbers coming down? Who cares? Asymptomatic player is an asymptomatic player. So they're, they're kind of screwed there. By the time we get to that rule, the Canucks will have gone through their 16 to 20 guys and it, it'll be over with and they, and they will already have suffered. How do you think history will judge the NHL on how they've handled this? I mean, we're still in real time, so I, I guess that's almost going to be an incomplete answer. But I look back at this last, what, two years, dating back to the bubble and everything that they've gone through, truncated schedules, all of it. How would you say the NHL will be remembered when this is all said and done? Cowards, progressive, where would you say they lie? Well, they wanted to play it, that's for sure. For for broadcast and advertising purposes, we played the, the famous bubble playoffs, which you know the Canucks enjoyed to some degree with their qualifying round victory over the Minnesota Wild, which, by the way, does not count as a playoff series, technically and officially. I bet a lot of people forget that. Yeah, it doesn't really go in the books as a playoff series. Um, and then, and then, you know, last year was last year, this year, it's more the Olympic thing. Like it's nagging. They had a deadline of January 10th. They decided not to go well ahead of it and then started postponing games that I don't think they needed to postpone. Part of that was the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Do we play in front of 50? They ended up playing in front of 50% capacity anyway, right? This week. So you postpone an Ottawa game. Maybe it would have been 25% capacity, but either way, you don't play it and you screw your team as it leaves for a East Coast road trip. Before you go on, let's clarify this for some people that might not understand where the blame lies on that. Is that an NHL decision? Is that a Francesco Aquilini decision? When you say that the Canucks don't end up playing that game and screw themselves, where does the blame lie on that? That's the team. They would have had the leeway there. To, to determine they could have played that game. Now that said, I don't, now that's from the Canucks perspective, to be quite honest, I don't remember it, at the exact moment how screwed up Ottawa's roster was at that moment. From what I, if I remember offhand, they, they had just gotten a bunch of guys back and they were going to be able to play that game. And as I argued at the time, a couple different times, why would you do that to your team 
apparently or allegedly make more money when the senators come to town later, but screw you out of, yourself out of potential playoff revenue if your team falls one, two, or three points short okay. because you have a crappy road trip because you sent a team cold into Florida. Fair enough. Okay, now I'm going to play the devil's advocate here because if you go back a year, uh, yeah, about a year, when the Vancouver Canucks played games when they had players that were dealing with COVID, this city was all over this franchise for putting them on the ice. They're like, protect the players, cancel the rest of the season. Ah, they shouldn't be on the ice. Da, 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 da. So it's almost, if you're the Canucks organization, a damned if you do and damned if you don't. Now, the difference is that team, when they first got hit by COVID, was not a part of the playoff conversation. They, had, uh, If they weren't eliminated, they were about to get eliminated. And the fans in this city were like, enough is enough. You know, wave the white flag and away you go. This time, because the Canucks are red hot, hot as a pistol, I think they were, what, 7-0-1, 8-0-1, something like that. Now, everybody wants to see this team on the ice because they're playing well. So as much as I've been tough on Francesco Aquilini over the last couple of years, I feel like there's just a no-win decision that had to be made in that moment and sure they blame him for you know oh well he didn't get the money he's doing it all for his you know pocketbook and what have you but you you go back you pull the lens back what seven eight months and he was getting ripped for the opposite decision so he can't win yeah but i think in that case well first of all you're talking about two completely different covids two different overall scenarios in terms of the level of danger the level of infection potentially and and the impact that everything was having at the time and also who was making this the decisions at the time and why like i like i'm not sure he would have had the power back then to say hey we're not going to play i mean francesco yeah francesco so that would have been a that would have been a league decision at the time yeah because look at the games they played with the calgary flames the other teams are like it was unprecedented the other teams are playing playoff games and the Canucks and flames are playing regular season makeup games. That's right. They were this. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not, well, maybe it is. Yeah. They're, oh, whatever. I mean, I guess that's to fulfill television contract obligations and Absolutely. advertiser obligations. Yep. So again, let's just be very clear here. Like we're bouncing around this conversation talking about various COVID scenarios and decision-making scenarios. It all comes down to money. Okay. Everything that happens outside of between the puck drop and the final horn, it's money. No updates on Brandon Sutter. We're hoping that Thatcher Demp goes back by Tuesday. There's a lot of moving pieces here. Now I'm not going to put you to, to the gun on where each individual player is, but Jim Rutherford, he's been on the job just shy of a month or right around a month. And there's all these things coming and going, who's staying, who's going. Uh, let's start with the players that are still affected right now. Thatcher looks like he's going to be back on Tuesday, but Brandon Sutter's nowhere to be found right now. Yeah, no up, no updates on the long hauler. And that sucks. For I mean, it just sucks. But, you know, people that want to not believe how serious this disease is, even for those people that didn't die from it, there are long-term repercussions for people. And there have been a couple others in the national hockey league that have affected like Sutter. And he basically, he's kind of, he's done. I, I would think, I mean, that's the way it looks at this point. It's just not happening. So that's, I don't know anything else about it other than to tell you he's not here. And it doesn't sound like he's going to be here anytime soon. 
you think of Hamannick, you think of Sutter, you think of all these kind of side stories with the Vancouver Canucks right now. Uh, we talk about the possibility of moving pieces, and these would be essentially in a perfect world where they were healthy, two guys that you might consider adding to a package, moving, using them as an asset. Does this hamper um, Jim Rutherford's opportunity to make a move, or do you just kind of have to put them in the back pocket and hope eventually they get better? I mean, what are his pieces beyond JT Miller? Hammonick, I'm 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 a little suspicious about Hammonick to be honest. Um, I don't have no idea what the hell's going on with him. He got hit by Brad Marchand in that Boston game, and we haven't seen him since. Uh, and of course, we had all the vaccination nonsense earlier this season, and and triple speak, not just double speak, but triple speak by Jim Benning at the time when he announced that Hammonick was being vaccinated. Um, those two guys really don't necessarily factor big into what's unfolding right now with, you know, some of the talk about players being moved, but I spoke to Rutherford extensively over the weekend and he basically is telling me and now telling others exactly what you and I have told listeners exactly the same thing over the last few weeks. It's basically hockey logic. Um, you know, JT Miller's your leading scorer, your team, you're not sure if it's playoff bound or not. There's a lot on the line. He's a bargain at the moment. He has a season left. Now, obviously, if a team offers a King's ransom, he might be listening. But otherwise, it doesn't make a lot of sense, particularly because, as, as Rutherford's pointed out, there's no, he, he'd rather get his GM in place, another assistant GM in place, and then start making these decisions moving ahead before the deadline right now, premature. Although I saw the Stephen Valaket uh, tweet or tweets about interest from the Rangers and JT, which makes sense because that team could use a heart and soul type guy, a gritty yep. type guy to go with the young talent that they have. And they're playing very, very well. So they could add a couple of pieces. So that's interesting. But again, Rutherford has to worry about it from his side. And, um, you know, we've gone through this. Um, and then there's Euro Halak. He basically said what we said, you know, whoop-de-doo on the bonus. If you're trying to win hockey games, you're trying to win hockey games, the goalie's most important position on the ice. And if you've got Demko and Halak, you've got the best combination, not necessarily just in the Pacific Division, maybe the best combination in the Western Conference. Yeah. There's conversation to be had about that. Um, Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com. You talk about JT Miller, not to get too in-depth with this, but let's say there is the proverbial, and I'm not going to call it a king's ransom, but a package good enough that it entices the Vancouver Canucks to make that deal. What does that say to a couple of the pending free agents? I mean, you think of the message that it sends to the young lights, like, cool, it doesn't matter because both Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are in-house for the next couple of years, but... There's also some guys on the horizon that are going to be wondering where this direction is going. And if all of a sudden they see, well, we got rid of our top scorer for, quote, draft picks, are they going to want to be a part of that process? I mean, it's an interesting time for the Canucks because you know that you got to stockpile the empty cupboard. But at the same time, the window for these young guys is kind of right now. So what do you do? Yeah. Well, again, it's depend on, it depends on what you're getting back and it depends on what the team is doing uh, in terms of its possibilities of making the playoffs. I don't think you really want to shoot yourself in the foot right now in terms of if you think you have a chance. I mean, COVID, again, just continues to screw this team. Um, 
but they are still in it, but they're going to continue to have to play a pretty, some hot streaky hockey uh, to get there. But um, yeah, I mean, there's the Brock Besser, but he's an RFA and they have to yeah. make a decision on him if they want to pay that qualifying offer of seven and a half million. The other guys that are, you know, UFA-ish on this roster, I wouldn't worry about a whole, I mean, there's Alex Chase on, he's here on a, made the team on a PTO, um, quote unquote, power play specialist, which the previous regime had a love affair with him. Uh, Tyler Mott, I like him, but, you know, he's only making 1.2. So other than that, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, the Miller stuff kind of bugs me. It's, It's just premature. Like the guy's making five something and, He's the leading scorer. He's a heart and soul guy. Just give it, give it a little time here. Let, let's get things in place. Let's see how the team's doing in about, well, as we get into February, halfway through February, let's see where we're at and, uh, and go from there. I thought I mean, it was funny. I thought it, I thought it was funny the other night when Florida was in town. Kevin Bieksa was obviously in town for the hockey talks because he was very good friends with Rick Rippon and spoke to the crowd. And then Roberto Luongo was in town as well. And somebody tweeted, oh, there's Roberto Luongo here to pick up his check. The three plus million that he gets from the (laughs) Vancouver Canucks for one last year. This is the last year of the recapture penalty for the Vancouver Canucks. So that's going to free up a little bit of money. And, And the reason I bring that up, like joking aside, is people are wondering if this Vancouver Canuck team can afford to qualify Brock Besser when they're trying to look at the big picture. But there's some loose change that's going to free up here in the next year or two, is there not? Yeah, it's a good point about the Loango money. Um, they still, I think there's still a little dosy dough left on Braden Holtby and, and you know, a, a minuscule amount with uh, Jake Vertanen. Yeah, two do. and a half between the two of them next year gets yeah. tied up into that. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You are the Grinch because I just said that $3 million frees up and then you remind us that between Vertanen and Holtby, that's pretty much just where it's going to go. Well, I know, but yeah, but you, you, <laughs> if you stack true. it all together, then, you get, then you're talking yeah. six. So, I mean, they lose, <laughs> they lose half of it. It's not like they're play, paying Rick DiPietro. <laughs> Oof, I know. You He's know, speaking. last I, I felt bad for him last night because the reality is, is I didn't think that's Michael DiPietro. I'm talking about Rick DiPietro. Oh, right. Yeah. The gajillion. Who was that? Charles Wang that gave him that money. Was it a 15 year deal? I'm trying to remember. It was crazy. It was insane. 13 years, whatever. So they, yeah, whatever. Like, I think he's still getting paid. It was kind of, who was the other guy uh, that they had the the asinine deal with? It was a horrible trade. Um, and this guy always mistakes me for somebody else, and he always waves at me. Um, <laughs> oh, Alexi Yashin. Speaking of the Islanders, i got to bring up Clark Gillies. Yes, you beat um, me to it. Passes away at 67. And um, I remember going around the North America doing a TV show, interviewing Hall of Famers and, and uh, alumni, mostly Leafs alumni. And talk, you know, they talk about their time in the game, obviously. And Clark Gilly's name, when it came up, it would always be like, oh, God, did not mess with this guy. So he wasn't flamboyant, not the right word, but not as demonstrative or theatrical or like, hey, look at me. I'm a tough guy type guy at all, but just terrifying. And, and it was funny how whether it was a guy like Motor City Smitty 
all the way up to like a hall of famer to hear, I'd say, okay, who's the guy that scared you the most? And they'd say, and it wasn't like Dave Schultz, who in a way was kind of a pretender at, at times, uh, a bully. He was the bully. He was the classic bully. He was like the broad street bullies, but um, it would be Gillies. And I'd be like, really? They say, Oh God. Yeah. You, you don't poke the bear. Like you didn't want to get this guy going and he's riding shotgun with bossy and Trache, and they went four yes. straight cups. Yep. I, I tell people this all the time and I don't know if it's because people that I'm talking to in their thirties or forties, you know, we talk about quote dynasties and, and it seems like the memory banks with the modern day fans start with the Oilers. And I'm like, if you go back just a few more years before that, that Long Island dynasty was nasty. And it took a while for the Oilers to figure them out because, I mean, Mike Bossy, who, by the way, doesn't do a ton of media. No. He's one of those guys that kind of just petered off and did his own thing. But that team, you know, Trottier and Potvin and Gillies, I mean, and, and Billy Smith, who I still consider one of the greatest goaltenders of my lifetime. I mean, that is an unbelievable study on that era of hockey. And, and and when you talk about Clark Gillies, the one thing that I read just over the past couple of days, and I was like, oh, yeah, the guy from Saskatchewan, heavy. You don't talk about players that are heavy anymore. But here's a guy that had multiple 30-goal seasons, of, of course, you know, littered with talent on Long Island with Al Arbor. But the reality is, is this guy played and leaned on you and was tough on you, and you probably didn't want to hop the boards and have a shift against that guy because he was on you right from the get-go. And you blink, and now he's got the puck, and he's putting in the back of your net. Yeah, and he, and he's skating alongside Mike Bossy, who's one of the greatest, some would argue the greatest pure scorer with his incredible run of 50-goal seasons, just consistency beyond belief. And then Brian Trotche is unbelievable, who wins those and then goes on to Pittsburgh and wins some more. Um, it was it was nuts how good the early 80s – yeah, people should not start with the Oilers. The Oilers have unbelievable respect for that, those Islanders teams that they eventually beat. Except they, the year they lost to them, the fourth cup for the Islanders, they basically said, holy crap, you know, we saw what it takes to, to win. These guys are all bruised and beat up and battered. I'm talking about the Islanders. And they said that, I guess, I guess we need to take it to the next level. Um, it's funny, I got into a little conversation with uh, online with Simon Schemberg, who's a longtime IHF public relations guy for decades. And he's still over there doing stuff. And he brought up, you know, we're talking about Doug Jarvis and his Ironman streak. And he said, boy, not many people win four Stanley Cups starting the rookie season. And I go, Kenny Morrow. I brought up Kenny Morrow. Miracle on ice in February. And then he wins a cup with the Islanders a few months later and wins four more. So Jarvis and Morrow are examples of that. Pretty remarkable. Well, we'll get into Jarvis in a second. A couple of real quick stats with Mike Bossy. Nine consecutive 50-goal seasons. And in those nine seasons, he had a shot percentage of over 20%, which means one of every five shots that Mike Bossy took found his way to the back of the net. In six of those seasons, one of every four shots found its way to the back of the net. I mean, that is extraordinary. You look back at his numbers and I mean, it is really extraordinary. And again, a player that is never a part of the average Joe's conversations of elite hockey players. Like he well, just, he, he, I don't know if Western, he's top 10, everybody thinks he's like number 11. No, Western Canada, of course, like you brought it up, they're thinking Oilers and it's also a younger crowd. I mean, we're, we're going back 40 years here now. 
Um, and, and you know what's weird about this? I think today is the, I thought I caught a glimpse of this, that today might be the anniversary of him getting 50 and 50, Bossy. I think today might be the anniversary of that. We may have to pick that. You know, I cold called Mike Bossy once in Montreal and he answered and he ended up giving me an interview. It was a cold call. I used to be the idiot that would just pick up phones and try to impress my program director. And I was like, I found a way to get Mike Bossy's phone number and I cold called him. And he took the call. And we talked for 15 minutes. Oh, he's great. Those guys are great. That's what you do. I, but it, he doesn't not, do a lot of that not, stuff. It's not difficult. You just do it. You just get the balls <laughs> to call them. Just call them. They'll talk to you. These guys love. The only time I've really talked to Bossy was at an all-star game. I crouched down next to him in the aisle and sat <laughs> in Carolina. I go, hey, Mike Bossy. So I grabbed the recorder and we did. Actually, I think about doing a live hit. I might have been doing like live national radio at that point. I can't remember, but. I think the stupidest one, because I used to, when I was working at the competing station with CKNW that had Rick Dollywall at the time, we'd always go back and forth to see if we could break the story. So Danny Sabarin had just been called up to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, he, I think he only played a handful of games with Vancouver. And I was desperate to try and get him. And they were bringing him in from Wilkes-Barre or whatever you call it. Wilkes-Barre. I think it's Wilkes-Barre. Anyways. Wilkes-Barre is correct. So Wilkes-Barre Wilkes Penguins. That's right. So long of the short of it, he had just been traded to Vancouver. And I ended up calling the airport at Wilkes-Barre trying to get Danny Sabarin paged so that I could get him. And he answered the phone. He's like, hello. I go, it's Rob Fay with News 1130. I got it. And everybody's like, how'd you get the audio? I'm like, I had him paged at the airport. Said I was like his cousin. <laughs> Whatever it took, man. Oh, you, man. Stupid stuff back in the day. Enough. Hey, Evgeny Malkin. JP Barry went over to, I think he went over to, where was he playing? He was playing in somewhere in Europe. They were at a tournament and then all of a sudden he boarded a plane and he ended up in Los Angeles. I cold called Barry every morning when I first got in to do my shift. No answer, no answer, no answer, no answer. Like the ninth time I called JP Barry, he answered. He goes, yeah. I go, hey, it's Robin News 1130. He goes, I got to go. I said, do you have Evgeny Malkin with you? He goes, we're boarding the plane. We'll be in LA in like 10 hours. Hung up the phone, got on the plane. I was the only guy that had that story. Never got credit <laughs> for it. But I was the guy that said, Evgeny Malkin's going to be skating with Anson Carter and Ed Jovanovsky in Los Angeles in 10 hours. And sure enough, 10 hours later, he was in L.A. And I got no credit because I was a minion. But it was awesome to be able to get those stories. I love the chase. I miss awesome. the chase. That's good. I, I think he was playing in Magnitogorsk, if I'm not mistaken. But he was in, uh, I want to say Prague. Like oh, I think he was at a tournament and then all of a sudden uh, oh, I got you. hit the bricks with JT Barry or JP you know, Barry. Those guys keep, those guys keep it on the down low. JP Barry is a little more talkative than, uh, than Pat Brisson at CAA. I did manage to speak to Pat for quite a while the other day and did a story about the psychology of the trade deadline and what advice you give players. Mm. Um, but I mean, we went back and forth for probably two months just trying to figure it out and they, they try to keep it up. He's got a just his listings, not even with his partner JP Barry. Brisson has a billion dollars NHL player contracts. It's over a billion in active contracts, and that's not including Barry's list. Which and they work together. They you work know, together. some people will say, "Well, a million, a billion dollars, not that big a deal." In hockey, that's a big deal. Like in baseball, that's four guys, right. but in hockey, <laughs> that's like teams worth of guys, right? So. Don't get me started on baseball. Oh, I don't get me started on either. They're going to screw this up again. I can feel it already. Yeah. Anyways, Robert, before I let you go, because we always seem to talk longer and longer, let's circle back very quickly on this Vancouver Canuck team and talk about what's coming down the pipe now. We've talked about everything that was. 
let's take a look that's uh, at a week that makes me a little bit nervous because it feels like Edmonton finally got off the schneid. They won that battle of Alberta on the weekend. They finally get the dub. They finally get some decent goaltending from Panarin, and uh, maybe they're going to try to string a couple together. Then you've got Winnipeg. Then you've got Calgary for Vancouver, who's, you know, again, maybe going to get Thatcher, maybe not. What are we looking for from them against three teams that are also hungry to get their games on track? Well, the, the Battle of Alberta victory for the Oilers was gigantic. Yes. On the weekend. I mean, they're in a losing streak. They go down 2 nothing in the first period. And they and you kind of could sense it, though. And I, and I wrote about it a little ahead of time. I said, I've been to these games in person. And if you want that, the Battle of Alberta concept still exists. There's always a lot of emotion, anger, physicality, and just the whole tension and drama. And you knew that that game wasn't over. And they, they came back, they win it. Now they feel really good about themselves. So they're feeling good about themselves to some degree again. And the timing couldn't be worse for the Vancouver Canucks. Obviously, what bodies are back and available in the lineup is a huge factor. But then again, this is important to remember. The way they play under Bruce Boudreau and the way that he kind of stimulates this and emphasizes this is it doesn't really matter who is in the lineup if you keep it simple if you work your ass off if you're constantly pressuring um then you can win hockey games and obviously if you have more talent available then that ups the possibility of victory because you can finish that's what's been lacking like they fired a boatload of shots uh, at the St. Louis Blues in the loss, but they have no, they just have no finish. I mean, Jason Dickinson couldn't, he's got the touch of a one-armed masseuse. I just made that up. I just made that up. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good, it. man. He knows it. He can't finish. He just can't, you know, there, and, and Hoaglander, I love him and he's talented and he's got nifty <laughs> ideas, but it's like the pucks of Mexican jumping bean when he gets, you know, within the circles, he's just, it's like the guy's a spaz. And I know, cause I'm a spaz. Yeah, oh I mean, God, that was funny. Lack of finish. You know, they're overpowered by a team that kind of threw a blanket over them in St. Louis. It, 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 but if you work your ass off, you can look what they almost did to the Panthers. They took them yeah. to a shootout. They very easily could have picked up two points there. Continue. I think Vancouver was happy with just the one. I think that was found money. Oh, that's fine. Um, but it just ultimately comes down to work ethic, whether you're a star or you're a grinder. If you get everybody pulling in the same direction, you can win NHL games. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where this is. This is what it's going to come down to. And obviously, well, goaltending. So if you get Demko back and you're working your ass off, you're going to win some hockey games. Anything's possible. But, so they got Edmonton. Edmonton comes in. Of course, Vancouver and uh, Edmonton currently tied in the Pacific, both with 40 points. But the Oilers with four, count them, four games in hand. Calgary's got five games in hand. And uh, then they get to take on Winnipeg, who, again, is uh, hovering around in the Central Division. Robert, thank you for this. May you find a one-armed masseuse in your future. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> So very quickly, I, and not to cut you off here, but the Canucks have just announced that they have signed uh, their assistant general manager, okay. Emile Castingay. She is now the assistant general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. She becomes the first female assistant general manager in team history. Jim Rutherford speaking on this. And uh, 
She was the first female National Hockey League Players Association certified agent in Canada back in 2016. So she has joined the Canucks. That is the second female hiring in a week. Yeah. And that's kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. And, and, and we didn't even get to that. Oh, speaking of that, when I was, <laughs> I was just talking about rants that could have been, did I mention I was tired this morning? Yes. Rants that, rants that could have been was about analytics. And we didn't even talk about analytics and the hiring of Rachel Dory and my conversation with Jim Rutherford about analytics. Well, she you. comes, she comes with an interesting background, you know, as a certified agent, she probably understands the nuances and the numbers that might come with a cap and, you know, ebb and flow. So we talk about the Vancouver Canucks and what they are and what they need. And we were talking about the fact that they might have multiple assistant general managers taking on certain facets. And we needed a quote unquote capologist, not to assume that that's maybe what she's going to take on, but somebody that's worked with the players association is somebody that knows the numbers of the game. It's great. And they're, they're, they're trying to kind of balance out the job responsibilities as they bring in these assistant GMs, you know, they went heavy with the scouting side and then you knew they were going to kind of do a little more of the business side at some point, And then a little bit of the development side. So um, not su- surprised in that regard. And, and I'm obviously not the least bit surprised that they, hired an assistant GM before uh, they hired their actual GM. In fact, after talking to Jimmy, my headline yesterday was Canucks Jim Rutherford says Alvin is worthy, but GM not decided assistant GM could come first. So that's three in a row for you right now. That's (laughs) we did have a pretty strong feeling that an AGM was going to come before GM. And it did. So now the other thing I mentioned in that story, that was at the top of the story. At the bottom of the story was, well, it said expect at least one announcement by February 1st, but which we're a week ahead of that. I think we're going to get the GM before February 1st. I'll be curious to know when the Vancouver Canucks have a press conference or at least give her immediate availability because uh, Rutherford in the statement saying, quote, she will play a lead role in player contracts and negotiation, managing the CBA, and her voice will be heard in all aspects of hockey operations. So, yeah, I think that fits the mold that I described just a couple of moments ago. They needed somebody who could come in and make sure that all the um, numbers made sense. Yeah. Good for her and good for the Canucks as a whole. Yeah, you got a little analytics going. You got a little business side going. You've taken care of some scouting. And now you'll bring in a hockey guy to be your uh, your general manager. And you'll bring in another hockey guy to be your next, uh, your next assistant. I think the way that they're building this team kind of builds and sets up for Patrick Alvin, does it not? Sure. It wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being the guy. Robert, let's do this again midweek, all right? You need to read my story there, buddy. I'm going to go do it, man. Let's you got to go back. You got to go back two days and read that story. So everything you're talking about is in there. That's okay. Now I have to go. That's a whole different right. ball of wax. Robert of VancouverHockeyNow.com, thank you for this time today. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.